Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us songs where we can sing and sing loud and sing together. And to sing songs, God, that connect so much with what our hearts feel, with what our minds know. Thank you for that. And Father, here at Christmas time, this being the last Sunday before Christmas, it seems to be that, that our senses to all of those things are, are heightened. And we thank you for that as well. We thank you, God, that we can understand the blessing or the, the beauty or how special this holiday can be. Father, we ask today that you would help all of that to be understood in light of the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the world. God, we ask your blessing on us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 14. I'm sorry, chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible there, page 627. The Black Pew Bible there in front of you, page 627. I, I like this time of year. Christmas brings back all kinds of memories. I think I tell you all this every year, but I want to say it again. My, my father is one of those dads who worked all the time, blue collar, worked hard. We didn't see him in the mornings because he was already at work, and we didn't really see him in the evenings because he didn't get home till later. And when he got home, he was ready to go to bed. He was so worn out. And that's kind of how my dad was. But we remember that at Christmas, he would get, you know, a couple days off. And it seemed to me that everything about my dad changed once he got off that last day before his Christmas break. He was like a totally different man. Instead of being tired and worn out and maybe a little grumpy during the work week, he was happy and wanted to spend time with us over Christmas. I have great memories. My dad would wake up on Christmas morning and make sausage balls. He didn't cook any other time throughout the whole year, but on Christmas morning, he himself would make sausage balls. And If you've never had sausage balls before, then mm, there's not many things that are better. I just have cool memories like that. We used to go to the, to the coast. My mom's family is from the coast of North Carolina, and we would travel there for the family Christmas every year, maybe the weekend before, something like that. And as we would get close, you know, like a half a mile away, we'd, we'd roll the windows down and turn the Christmas music up really loud. And we always wanted to pull into the driveway, like screaming out Christmas songs so that they would know that we're there. You know, there's not much to those, but they're, they're memories that I have a long time ago, 20, 30 years ago. I like that. As I've gotten older, I'm wanting my kids to cherish the holidays and, and family. I'm wanting them to be able to feel the same way, not the same things. I don't cook sausage balls on Christmas morning. But I want them to have the same type of feelings. But I've also learned, and you, I know you have learned this too, 
that those memories and those good old days go away. I don't have my dad cook sausage balls anymore. We don't ride to family Christmas singing songs anymore. Matter of fact, they had the family Christmas last night without us. Didn't even get a phone call. They sent us a text. The, those good old, good old days and good old memories go away, don't they? You know what happens when you've got good old memories from then? But you don't have a good old value, joy now? You get bothered. It starts to hurt. You're not as happy now as you were then. So we need to know that there needs to be something lasting about Christmas. And not just Christmas, but anything. You know, birthdays, childhood, whatever. But we're talking about Christmas. There needs to be something in us and about us that lasts so that the setting or the context or the experience changes, but the joy and the thrill is still there. The peace and the contentment and the happiness and the satisfaction remains. It must not be in things or in stuff or even in people or family. It has to be in Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus himself will be our peace. So this Christmas, this last Sunday before Christmas, I want us to keep it really, really simple. And I want us to look at this Christmas name that Jesus has, Emmanuel. You know that word. It's a Christmas word. You don't hear it too many times throughout the year, although you could. It's one that comes up a lot at Christmas because in Matthew chapter 1, like I preached on last week, where Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant and first doesn't like it, and then the angel comes and tells him it's okay, God did that, and so he says he's going to take care of her. The angel tells Joseph that y'all are going to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then it says they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. Jesus has a lot of names. If you read the Bible, there are lots of them. This week, J.J. was trying to memorize Revelation 19, verse 16. That verse says that he has a name written on his robe and written on his thigh called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I like that name. For our Lord Jesus. There are a lot of kings and a lot of powerful people in the world, but there is one who is greater. There is one that we will all meet face to face one day. There is one that we will bow down to. He is Jesus. But we have his name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I want today for you to be convinced from the scriptures that what you need more than anything else is to know God through His Son, Jesus. And I want Christmas to be 
meaningful to you, not because there's family drama or because you do or don't get a lot of presents. That's up to you and how you do the holiday. But I want Christmas to be meaningful to you because you know God. Emmanuel, God with us. In Isaiah chapter 7, we have a prophet, Isaiah. Now a prophet is somebody who speaks to the people for God. God doesn't come straight to all the people and say, Hey, everybody, look here, everybody, listen up, i got to tell you something. That's not what God does. God comes to Isaiah and says, Isaiah, here's what I want you to tell the people. And then Isaiah goes to the people and says, i got a message from God. And everybody listens up, and then he tells them what God has said. That's Isaiah. That's what this whole book of Isaiah is. It's 66 chapters. It's really long. And the history of God's people is that they had heard from God that they were the people of God and they had seen all of the promises being filled out in their lives and they had seen God do wonder after wonder after wonder in their lives and yet still when the the, the joys of, of, of that wore off, they became rebellious to God. They went distant from Him. They said... No, we're going to do it our own way. We'd rather do what we think is best for us than listen to God. And they continually sinned or rebelled or wandered away from God. Yet they, they thought that they were the people of God. They had the title that they were the people of God. They were God's people. And yet, so there was some confusion on how can we be God's people if... We so often don't want to be God's people, or rather, don't live like we're God's people. Just something's not right about this. That's where Isaiah comes in with telling them. Well, as you know, what people need is a Savior. We don't just need God in our lives, and we don't don't just need a religion that teaches us how to live better. We don't just need some things to be doing We need a Savior. We need our sins dealt with. You ever had a problem in your life? And you identified it? And so you kind of got over it a little bit and you said, okay, whenever I get done with this problem, here's what I'm going to do. This is what happened to me every time I get injured in sports. I lay on the couch, injured up, complaining about the injury, and I convinced myself that if God will ever heal me and I can ever come back to full strength, I'm going to work out and eat better and drink better and do everything so much better. It doesn't matter how zealous I might be for what I'm going to do then. I still got to get this injury better, right? I got to deal with this right now. And so is the case for people like you or me. Our, our sins have got to be dealt with. God does not allow any sins into heaven. None. Anything about you that is wrong or not honoring to God keeps you from heaven. So we need a Savior. And God's message all along has been He will send a Savior. They didn't understand it. They're confused about it. And here at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, they're being told a little bit. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. 
Emmanuel. Emmanuel is Hebrew word that just means God with us. God with us. Emmanuel is in the Bible three times. Three times. Right here at 714. Probably on the same page at chapter 8, verse 8. You can probably see it right there. Oh, Emmanuel at the end of verse 8 of chapter 8. And then again in Matthew chapter 1. They will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah is telling them that there is one coming that will be born of a virgin who will be called God with us. See, so much of their understanding of God is that there is this great big God, this sovereign God, this creator God who's far off and they need a prophet or they need a, a priest to help them understand how is he feeling about us. We've got problems. And that sounds so familiar with most human beings, does it not? It sounds so familiar with most religions in the world. It sounds uh, so familiar with even people who think that they're Christians. They're not really Christians. And they speak about God from a distance. They don't really pray to God and have a talk with God. They say, if you could just, you know, maybe say a little, little prayer for me to the, to the man upstairs. And they speak about him in that way because they're, they're not sure if they can really talk to God and if, and if God, their Father in heaven, hears them. The majority of people in the world know that there's a God, believe that there's a God, but they don't have a relationship with Him. They don't know Him. They think about Him as big and huge and far away and at a distance. And they don't really know where He's at. And the Bible tells us that this is the way it is too. In John chapter 1, that awesome prologue, the first 18 verses there, you have at the very, uh, in, the very, in the very middle of that, it says to us that no one has ever seen God. And that's part of why there's all the confusion in the world. No one's ever seen God. So that's why we have 7 billion people on earth and, earth, and in many ways 7 billion different opinions about God too. And people's thoughts and values and beliefs about God are all over the place. Because no one's ever seen Him and they know Him, but they don't really know Him. And they've got these ideas about Him. And just yesterday somebody was telling about Somebody that they know, and they said they were a Christian, and they asked them some questions about where they went to church or something like that, and they said, well, I've got my own personal beliefs about what I believe about God. That's pretty common. Most people say things like that. It's not right. It's not good. It's not according to what God has said. But many people are that way. So God has come to make himself known. You and I get that really well because we see that Jesus came to us at Christmas time. God put on flesh, put on a human body, became a man, was born of the Virgin Mary, and was raised up. And He lived a life. And First John says, we have seen Him. We've seen Him with our eyes, heard Him with our ears. We've touched Him with our hands. We have seen Him. John chapter 1, verse 18 says that He, who we have never seen before God, has come to us now in the flesh, grace of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, and He has made Him known to us. This God that we have never seen before, we now see. This God that nobody understands is now being explained to us in Jesus Christ. If you want to have confusion and all over the place about God, then you keep trying to form opinions on God without God's help. 
If you want to know what God is like to the T and understand Him really well, let Him explain Himself, which He has done. And when He came to us, His name is Jesus. But other people also called Him Emmanuel, God with us. What God with us means is that God is with us. God has come. He used to not be here and nobody see Him. But now He is here and we do see Him. He is here with us. He used to not be on earth. Now He is on earth. God with us. You know, everybody calls Him Jesus Christ, right? Christ is not His last name. I hope you know that. I don't know His last name. But Christ is not it. His name has just been shortened to Jesus Christ. It at first was Jesus the Christ. But sometimes we take words out to create a nickname. Jesus Christ. Christ means Savior. He was known as Jesus the Savior. I kind of wish that we would translate Christ sometimes to the Savior for clarity. He is a Savior. Well, when one starts asking, well, how does He save? That's where Emmanuel becomes beautiful. Why did He come to us? Wasn't He God enough before He came to us? Well, absolutely so. God doesn't become any more or any less, any stronger, any weaker. God doesn't do anything like that. He's not phased by us one bit. And He tells the church that in the book of Acts. Wait just one second. Don't think that God is served by human hands as though He needed anything in Acts chapter 17. I love that quote. Lest you think that God needs you. Because He certainly doesn't. But He did come to us because He's a loving God who wants us. Wants us close. Wants us to be His. Wants us in His family. And would not leave it on us to try to be good enough. One, we wouldn't be. But two, wanted to come and get us. Adopt us. Take us. Ransom us. Rescue us. Forgive us. Make us His. God with us. In Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah the prophet is letting them know there is one coming. God is coming. At this point, through a virgin and all of that, they did not get it. But the hope of a Savior, they were beginning to get. Today, in the rest of our time, I want to break down Emmanuel. God with us. I want you to know all three words really well. Point number one, God. Point number two, us. Point number three, with. God. You know a lot about God. Let me just tell you a little bit about Him. He's the Creator. He has made everything. The Bible teaches us that God has always existed. There was never a time when He didn't exist. If there was, He wouldn't be God. He is eternal both that way and this way. Both forward and backward, future and past. That is God. He's big. 
He's very, very big. And when God decided He wanted to create, He did it through speaking. He says, let there be light, and all of a sudden there is light. Not all of a sudden there was a sun, because He didn't create the sun yet. He just said light. You kind of get an idea of how big He is, if you can even try to begin to think about light without the sun. Because the sun is huge, as you know. And then on another day, he created other things, created the waters, created the heavens, created the birds, the fish that live in those. Then he created the sun and the moon and the stars, and he put those into place. And if you've ever looked up at a a, a sky full of stars at nighttime, you know that, man, there are a lot of stars out there. He created every one of those. He knows exactly where they are. Isaiah says he calls them all by name. He's God and he's big. Then he created the animals, and then he created all of the animals, even the big ones, and then he created people. And at the end of creating everything, he said it was good. God is creator and God is good. There's nothing about God that's not good. He's not able to be not good. It's just awesome. God is creator and God is good, but God is holy. God is not able to do bad things. and Not, is he, not only is He not able to do bad things, but He is against bad things. And Satan is the, the father of evil, the devil. Satan is. And Satan wants you to do bad things. Satan wants to tear you up. Satan wants to mess you up. And what's cool about Satan, the Bible teaches us he's very crafty. He was crafty when we first saw him in Genesis 3. He's crafty everywhere in between. He's crafty when he's tempting Jesus in the New Testament. He's crafty. In other words, he's sneaky. He's good at it. He's able to do it in ways that you don't think it's him doing it. Satan's able to get you to do things you wish you weren't doing, but while you're doing or going into doing it, you're thinking it's going to be a good thing. God's not like that. God is good. And He opposes evil. You'll call that holy. He is holy. And at many places in the Bible, we see God being represented as being holy, awesome, pure, right, holy. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, you have Isaiah having a vision. And it's of angels that are huge. Huge. Angels that are bigger than Fairdale. Their wings are just extending out. And the angels keep screaming out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The Bible says that when those giant angels keep saying that, the earth is shaking. And Isaiah in this vision is like, my word, what is going on? Isaiah is so taken back by it that he just starts confessing his sin. Oh God, I am am a man of unclean lips. I don't talk like you're worthy. I don't talk like you're holy. I don't talk in encouragement of people. I've got issues with the way I speak. Then he says... And I live around people who are the same way. They're unclean too. 
See, Isaiah, in light of God, sees God is awesome. And it just automatically, even as the prophet of God, it automatically makes him start to see how much he's not God. That's what God's like. God is loving. There are places in the Bible where people have deliberately lied, disobeyed, assaulted God to His face. And not often, but there are times where God says and kills them. Nothing wrong with God doing that. They were sinning against God. He's allowed to do that. We pray that He doesn't do that. He most often does not do that. I've sinned. He has not killed me yet. But there are other places in the Bible that show another side of God. There's a place in the Bible where there's a woman who has been caught in adultery and she has been sinning a lot. Sleeping with lots of different people, which is not good. And some of the other people are pointing this out to Jesus. She's wrong and she deserves to die, which that's true. I'm wrong and I deserve to die. And Jesus could have killed her because... We've seen God do that before. But instead, Jesus shows us another side of Him and His slow to anger and His patience. And He says, Alright, whoever wants to and whoever has not sinned, throw a stone at her. Then Jesus is not focusing on her sin. Jesus is focused on everybody else's sin. Jesus is reminding us, you're not better than she is. And the Bible says they all walked away. Jesus looks to the woman and says, who condemns you? They've all walked away. She says, nobody. He says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. What a beautiful side of Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 16, which you may know, says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. But the very next verse highlights that. And that which I'm teaching now, verse 17 says, God did not send His Son to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn you. God sent Him to save you. God doesn't need to condemn you. The Bible teaches us that we're condemned already. Our conscience bears witness to us that we're condemned already. We're not right. God is this awesome great God who is maker, who is good, who is holy, who is merciful, and who cares about us. He loves us. He has not needed to make us, but He did. And He is not needed to get up in our sinful lives, but He wants to. That's what God is like. We could go on and on and on with God, but we'll stop there. Secondly, us. Us. Remember, Emmanuel is God with us. So secondly, us. See, when we start talking about what is our need... Please hear this point. 
When the people of Israel are being aware of their need, they are promised Emmanuel, God with us. They are not just promised God. You have to understand salvation in light of not God alone, but God for you. You don't get saved without recognizing who you are and what you're like and what your flaws are and what your mistakes are and what your sins are. So many people are trying to get God into their lives without identifying what they're really like. What is the heart of my problem? Why did God become flesh and be born of a virgin? Not just to show us what a good God is like. He died because we desperately need Him. We need to be rescued. I heard somebody say this week that we really don't know how to talk about people in a good, right, healthy way. Especially when we talk about our needs as sinners. We try to say things that we think are helpful, but they just sound so dumb. And he used the analogy of a fish. He said, if you saw a fish get washed up on shore and it's just laying there on the beach, you would never say... That's what he wants to do. I mean, if it's making him happy, then let him do whatever makes him happy. You would never say that. You sound like a fool talking that way. That fish needs to get back in the water or it will die. We humans, regardless of how much we may think what we're doing is helping us, need God. The Bible teaches us that we have sinned before God. We have wronged Him. We have done what He has told us not to do. We have said to Him, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what's right in my eyes. I think this is what's best for me. I think I know best. And people say it a lot. This is wrong. We, us, the people... Need God. I want to ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. In the New Testament, third book, Luke chapter 15. I want to show you how God talks about us needing God. God is holy, people are not, and this is a big problem. You've got to understand this. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him, that's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. See, some people are always making observations. And that is a true observation. But it's ridiculous. It, it, it's not worth saying. There's nothing good coming out of that observation. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a grumble and a complaint. This man receives sinners and eats with them. And if you hear somebody with some rank say something like that, you probably go, yeah, what's he thinking? But it's out of line. It's not good. It's, it, it is a good thing, but they think it's a bad thing. Let's keep going. So he told them this parable. He hears their complaint. He hears their grumbling. He says, okay, I'm going to tell you something. 
What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus tells that little story to prideful people. What's the, what's the crux of that story? The story is that there are people in the world who need God. And you know what is so awesome and beautiful and what causes rejoicing? When that one person, even in the face of 99 others that don't, that one person comes to the realization, I need God. I need God. And I want to ask you here today, have you ever been man enough or woman enough or courageous enough or humble enough to really say to your wife, to your kids, to your people, to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, to the people in your life, I need to be honest. I need God. And if you do not and you cannot say that, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. You are not right with God and you will not be right with God and never be right with God until you will admit, I need God. Then he says it again. Look at verse 8. He tells the same story in a different story. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. People, the purpose of life is for you to get to the point where you say, I need God. I can't be right. I can't be happy. I don't have peace until you break down and say, I need God. And the word Emmanuel, God with us, is just walking us right into understanding this. God, He's creator, He's good, He's holy, He's merciful, He loves us. Us, we're sinful and needy. We are needy. Lastly, with. I'm not a big grammar guy, as y'all can tell by listening to me talk. The word with is a preposition. It means accompanied by. I'm talking to you all with a microphone. The microphone's with me, and it helps y'all hear. You ever been out to eat with somebody? And they say, y'all together? And you say, well, it depends on what you mean. I mean, are they with you? See the word with? You say, well, depends on what you mean by that. 
The word with means together, accompanied with. Christmas is God answering this huge problem of God and us. The word with, one word in English, four letters, starts to make sense of all that is confusing. God with us. I need Him. How do I get Him? Emmanuel, God with us. The Bible says that God came to us so that He could be like us in every way. He was tempted. He knows what we're like. He knows what we've experienced. But the Bible also teaches us that Jesus had a a, a calling upon His life to get to the cross. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. The Bible tells us with this imagery, Jesus turned and set His face toward Jerusalem. He was headed to the cross. John says over and over again, That it wasn't his time yet, it wasn't his time yet, it wasn't his time yet, it wasn't his time yet. Yet in John chapter 13, the night of the Last Supper, the Bible says that Jesus got up from the dinner table and said, it's go time. It's time. Time for me to get to the cross. The Bible says that Jesus was praying the night before he was arrested and he was praying with such intensity Jesus cried out, God, if there is any other way, let this cup pass for me. But nevertheless, not your will be done, or not my will be done, but yours. God, I'm here to do what you've called me to do. As they are beating him and arresting him and about to kill him, Jesus reminds them, I will only do what my Father has planned for me to do. Don't think you're in charge of what happens When he says that, we're reminded of what he said in John chapter 10 about the Good Shepherd talk when he reminded them, nobody takes my life from me. Nobody. I lay my life down and I have the authority to pick it up, he says. Jesus was going to the cross. And as Jesus was nailed to the cross, and we see what many have called the greatest sin in the world. We might ask, why is this happening to Him? And at that moment, when you're saying, why is this happening to Jesus, I want you to know the word Emmanuel. God with us. Why is He being crucified? Because I know what God is like. He's good. He's holy. He's our maker. He loves us. He's merciful. And I know what I'm like. I'm not like that. I'm so needy. I'm so broken. I'm so wrong at times and prideful and sinful. Why is this happening to Him? Because the the problem and the gap between a holy God and a needy people is the word with. We need Him. And He came and He was crucified. And even while he's hanging there on the cross, he yells out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But you know who did know what they were doing? He did. You know who did know what was happening? He did. You know who did know why this was happening? He did. It was happening out of love for us. Emmanuel, God with us. Psalm 130, you don't have to turn there, but please note verses 3 and 4. 
If you, O Lord, should count sins, who can stand? But with you there is forgiveness. See, if you want to understand life without the Christmas story of God coming to live and die, you will be confused and disappointed. You'll have God in your life and you'll be confused and disappointed. There's a lot of people in in the world who have God in their lives and they are confused and disappointed. But the Bible teaches us that through faith we have understanding that even in everything in our life, God is working for His glory and for our good. Though we may not understand it, we understand that God loves me. And this that I'm going through has a purpose. Suffering, Romans 5, produces endurance. And that endurance that makes us stronger will produce character. And character inside of us will produce hope. And the mark of a child of God is that regardless of our sufferings, we have hope in God. The suffering produces endurance, produces character, produces hope. And at the end of the day, you and I are a bunch of needy people who hope in God. God with us, Emmanuel. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans is the sixth book of the New Testament. It's after Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. And I want you to hear about this God with us talk. Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 6. Okay, I want you to think about God and think about us and think about with. Verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us. You see the two words there? God and us. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, verse 11. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. For the person in the world who believes what God is like, who believes what we are like, there is a great longing to understand how can I get right with Him? How can I get to where I know Him? How can I get to where I I, I understand Him? How can I get to where I know I won't face His wrath? Because the Bible doesn't hold back in teaching us one day God will judge us. But for the person who gets Christmas, who gets Emmanuel, there is a great Peace. 
I heard somebody say this week that the goal of Christmas was Easter. That's a good sentence. That the goal of Christmas, the baby Jesus coming, was the death, burial, and resurrection that we celebrate Good Friday to Easter Sunday. I like it when big Bible truths can be made simple like that. I want to ask you here today, do you know Emmanuel? Do you know that God is with you? See, I think some people are still getting that Him coming means God with us, but I want to ask you here today, is God with you? Do you know Jesus? Are your sins forgiven? Are you going to heaven? Are you right with God? Do you still sin and sin a lot and like it and make excuses? Do you still sin and sin a lot and think that it's okay? Are you a real Christian that still sins? Because Christians do. But you hate it. It bothers you. It hurts you because you know it offends God. And so you realize, I need Him. And in feeling the conviction of, I need God, you are so aware what I need, He provides. He came to me and died for my sins. That's what Christmas is about. And yes, I've got all the childhood memories. And yes, I'm trying to create some for my own kids now. But those come and those go and those don't last. I'm only getting older. But you know what does? A real, real, true, real relationship with God. Because He came to us. Emmanuel. My God. My Savior. If you're here today and you don't know Him, I ask you to come to know Him. Turn from your sins. Come forward up here and tell me. I'd love to lead you to Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Christmas. A, a holiday that means so much to us, for better or for worse, yet means so much truthfully. Emmanuel, God with us. God, I pray that You would help us to, to believe what I said about You as far as God, believe what I said about us as far as us, and believe what I said about with. He came to be with us so that He could die for us. Father, work that in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.